Okay, welcome to the QKB Community Spotlight. Queensland Kettlebells is a friendly gym that normally is in East Brisbane, um, but right now is in, uh, in social isolation, um, practicing strength for life. Um, today we're going to find a little, out a little bit more about what makes Di tick, uh, some of her hints, tips, and why she does some of the things she does. Um, good morning, Joe. Di. Joe. <laughs> Die. Yeah, yeah. This is a good start. I like it. Hello, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm off to a fantastic start. Um, so, Di, tell us a little bit about where you're from, um, how you grew up, maybe what your parents did, whatever you want. Just tell us a little bit about your your history. Hmm. Um. Well, I'm from Montreal, so east-ish coast of Canada, and North United uh, States, right? Not the, not the United States, pretty close, like only like an hour from the border, but not actual, definitely not United States. No. Um, yeah, I uh, grew up in the, the suburbs. So a lot of people don't realize Montreal is actually an island. And so I grew up in what was called the West Island of Montreal, which was, yeah, pretty suburban um, area. Uh, and yeah, I grew up with two sisters and um, my parents split when I was young. And uh yeah i don't know went to pretty 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 standard sort of suburban life when i was growing up and then headed to the big smoke when i was about 16 17 for school and eventually made my way uh, to this part of the world and what's the big smoke was that like montreal city is that yeah yeah um, escaping the suburban west island into the city and yeah, I did some school there for a few years and lived downtown for a while and yeah. Yeah. Um, and so tell us about what your week normally looks like when it's not crazy time. No, when it's not crazy time. Um, uh, well, right now I'm studying physio. So I'm in third year and this semester is, or it was really hectic. I think it still is, but it's just hard to really feel the stress as much when you're not surrounded by, um, anxious students and teachers talking yeah. about deadlines and expectations. So it feels a bit more cruisy. It probably shouldn't, but yeah, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much at uni four days a week and, uh, yeah, and outside of that, um, I teach yoga and mobility classes. Um, I used to teach at a whole bunch of different places, but over the course of my physio studies, I've just kind of like been, you know, narrowing that uh, group, that that spread of classes down to just one spot. So I teach at a place called Santosha in Paddington. Yeah, and I do periodic workshops out of different yoga studios and different gyms. Yeah, awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been doing the yoga-y, stretchy, stretchy stuff, yoga and mobility stuff? Uh, like teaching, practicing, or? Both. Well, I started doing yoga, I think, in 2004, 2004, 2005-ish. Mm -hmm. um, mainly, uh, I started yoga as a way to deal with some back problems that I was having. So I started having problems with my, um, my neck and my back when I was about 19. Mm -hmm. And saw a bunch of different therapists and didn't really, um, yeah, had a bit of, had a bit of trouble finding, finding ways to, to make myself feel better. Yeah. So I'd heard yoga was helpful for back pain. And so I gave that a try and it stuck. So I did, I did quite a lot of yoga for a couple of years in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Um, once I left Montreal and came here, uh, I kind of had trouble finding a bit of a groove. Mm -hmm. so I sort of did my own thing on and off. 
and eventually found my way into um uh yeah well actually actually I, I went to um I did some I did some work in Cambodia for a while and I met someone at like the only yoga studio in Phnom Penh mm. at the time who had studied she had she was actually from Montreal as well the woman who was running the place yeah. and she had done her teacher training with a woman called uh Nikki Knopf in Cairns yeah um, so I ended up checking that out and I liked the way that they were teaching and I ended up doing my yoga teacher training while I was still working full time. It was sort of just like a jokingly as like a plan B that one day I would maybe teach yoga when I was like 60 or something. And anyway, it, uh, I did that. And then I found this, I found stretch therapy, a different system as well. Yeah. Saw the merit in that as well, kind of brought the two of them together. And eventually I had some chronic pain and that I couldn't get rid of. And I felt like my job was definitely a big contributing factor to it. So I left that and, I had to put my plan B into effect a lot sooner than anticipated. So yeah. I've been teaching for about four years, mm -hmm. but have been doing yoga and stretching for a lot longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. And so your background, I think it's really cool. You, you like it less, but tell us a little bit about, um, about what you used to do for work. Uh, it's not that I don't uh, All right. I, it's just a bit, it's a bit random. Um, I studied civil engineering, so that was what I did back in Canada, and uh, yeah, eventually got interested in environmental management, so kind of bringing the technical side of engineering, giving a bit more of like a looking at how technology, the environment, and society all interplay together. Mm. Ended up coming here and studying water management, yeah. and uh, found myself, well, I, I had done a little bit of work beforehand in uh, with with an NGO, there's an NGO, same same NGO exists here, Engineers Without Borders. So I was part of them while studying engineering in Canada. Spent a few months in West Africa when I finished my program that got me onto water sanitation and hygiene issues, which are now becoming, uh, yeah, a lot more at the forefront of everyone's concerns now. Um, yeah, and I pretty much ended up studying and working in capacity building for organizations that work on behavior change yeah. and implementation of sanitation and hygiene programs, particularly in rural settings. Right. So there's some big differences between when you work in urban and rural. And so I was mainly looking at kind of like the smaller scale community-based programs that NGOs are doing in mainly Asia Pacific. Sure. So hand washing was a big part of what I did and researching people's behaviors and what, why people hand wash or how people perceive um, why people might hand wash or what stops them from adopting that as a practice within their, their daily lives and that yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. yeah still yeah. do pieces of it around. I still do, uh, yeah, still do some water management stuff, but just a small part of what I do now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I mean, how big were the villages or communities that you were primarily targeting with these behaviors? Mm. I mean, some of them, like, so we weren't implementers. So I worked at this, I worked with this organization called the International Water Center. Yep. And we would kind of support the NGOs like WaterAid and, mm. the, you know, Live and Learn and these NGOs that would actually do the field work. So sure. they were working with, depending on the organization and depending on where it was, mm -hmm. could be anywhere from like 80 people in the village to 500. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you were, you were very much sort of, at a macro level, figuring out a system that people, other people could implement. Yeah. Yeah. And look, kind of looking at the way that 
looking at how they were implementing their programs, trying to understand how effective they actually were. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times people are implementing programs and using approaches, but they don't actually get the chance to stop and reflect on how well things are actually working. Or yeah. once funding ends, like there's not really much of a, a habit to go back and see, have, the long, have these changes been sustained over the long term? Does the water systems that were built um, are they still working? Did the toilets, if, the, if, if you've got a pit toilet that filled up, did, did people want enough to continue with that to rebuild or what were the problems getting in the way of them rebuilding? Yeah. So anywhere from like supply chain to behavior to how well they're working with government, mm. with NGOs, because you don't want an NGO to just build a system and disappear because then everything's going to kind of fall apart. So how well they engage with the institutional environment, it's all yeah. kind of multifaceted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. I, I remember going to Cambodia probably 10 years ago now. Um, and it struck me that people were pretty happy, but having a really corrupt government and really crap water supply, like uh, the capacity to get sick and die um, pretty easily seemed like the two big things that stood out to me is, as a, uh, having a significant negative impact on your quality of life in a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, puts a huge burden of care. Like when, when people are drinking dirty water, it's yeah. The, when people get sick, then the burden is on the women always mm -hmm. doing the, the caretaking for the family. Um, Cambodia is really, really interesting. I, um, so I did my master's in water management here and I did my research uh, in Cambodia right at the beginning of a time when there were some really big projects that were just starting. So I went there to do a bit of a, bit of a situation analysis about what was happening in, in terms of, of sanitation. Mm. And at that time, like everywhere that we went, there was just no toilets. There's nothing in any villages, even dry pit toilets were rare. Everyone was just using the rice paddies and right. any toilet that did exist was like this super expensive, really fancy toilet that had been built maybe by UNICEF like years ago or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so people thought that was the only option for a toilet was something that was made with all of these you know, with cement bricks and a metal roof and a, like a foundation and ceramic tiles and all this stuff that, I mean, if their houses are made out of bamboo and palm, like yeah. it's kind of like, why would I, why would I have a toilet that's more durable than my actual house, you know? Yeah. So there was actually no supply chain. So the work, there's been huge changes in rural sanitation coverage in Cambodia over the past 10 years. Mm. And it wasn't about, you know, educating people on the importance of a toilet. Everyone would want a toilet if they had an option. They're just there was no supply chain, there were no options. It was really difficult to make a toilet happen when you looked at all the steps that had to happen and talking to different people and working with this mason to get this yeah. thing or that thing and very few low cost designs existed. So there's a few in NGOs that did some really, um, yeah, really, really interesting work and it was all like market-based. It yeah. wasn't about teaching people that it's important to wash your hands and use a toilet. They're like, no, like I'd love to have a toilet. My sister in the city has a toilet and yeah. We're embarrassed when she comes to visit, but we just, we don't, we don't have any options, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's really yeah. interesting. A lot of it actually comes down to a market-based approach in sanitation. Awesome. So, sorry, I could talk about shit for like hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's great. It's, um, it's awesome. Um, yeah. Changing gears a little bit. Uh, mm. You talked about it a little bit. You talked about your, your um, back pain inspired you to get into the yoga stuff and then obviously that that intensified but uh what inspired you to go down the path of studying physio 
good question. Um, I think there was kind of like a long-term build and then a snap decision that kind of happened for me. I think the longer build was having had my own uh, ex long-term experience of, of back pain and back problems. Mm. Um, so it started off, like I said, you know, with like neck and kind of thoracic sort of issues. And then once I sort of felt like I spent years working on my, working on myself, working on my flexibility, working on my strength, mm. I was determined to find a way to not have pain sure. in my body. And I was, I was sure that what I just had to do was be really strong and flexible and then I wouldn't have any pain. Mm. Um, but while trying to achieve that strength, I ended up, um, busting a couple of discs in my back, went too, too heavy, too fast. And then I ended up on the, you know, one of these many people walking around with the, the lower back pain. Mm. So, uh, that just became a whole other, yeah, a whole, a whole new journey to begin. And so over the course of the past 20 years, I've dealt with so many different people in mm. so many different, um, you know, sort of Eastern and Western philosophies of dealing with pain and injury and all this stuff. And it's been incredibly informative, but also can be a really frustrating experience. And I know what it's like for people going through that. And I just kind of thought, well, I teach yoga and teach stretching to help people with that side of things and maybe just give them some, some techniques for uh, a little bit more like agency over their own bodies and knowing what they could do to get themselves out of pain. Because a lot of people tend to have a flare up of back pain and they immediately, they don't really know how to deal with it. And they, they're like, I have to see a physio or an osteo or a chiro or a massage therapist. They don't really know how to do anything to really self soothe. Sure. In between while waiting for that appointment or to help maybe not, not rely on that as their only way of um, dealing with pain. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to help people with that, but my yoga teacher training was, uh, I mean, the packing this, gigantic thousands of years old system mm. of a science system of philosophy system into a 200 hour teacher training and what you're getting is like you're skimming the surface on everything yeah so like my and my understanding of anatomy and injuries or what i was taught through through yoga was to me not really not enough for anybody to be working with the public and people give yoga teachers a strange amount of um credit in terms of what they know from their training yeah and i with the stretch therapy stuff that i do it's the stretch therapy is really great for working with people like hands-on one-on-one on particular like lines of tension or mobility issues that they have and the more i started working with people one-on-one -on -one, uh the more i started feeling like people were coming to me with issues and with injuries and comorbidities that i didn't understand i didn't know what to do with and it felt really irresponsible to be always being like having to look that up afterwards and yeah. I felt like I was always trying to play catch up and I didn't fully understand. I had never gotten a really good base of anatomy and this kind of stuff. And so I'd always been thinking physio would be a good thing. Maybe I would just do a year and learn the anatomy and then drop out. Sure. Um, but then I met a physio who just has basically, she just blew my mind. So I met a physio who just made me feel amazing. She taught me so many things about my body. I thought I had a pretty good understanding of my body. And there was just, she just opened up like a whole new world for me yeah. and the way she could uh, look at the way that I move and see what was happening. And uh, yeah, just, and then the way that she treats in a very active way, not just kind of like passive things and then 
sending me off with a list of exercises or anything. I just, yeah, I just said, I want to know what you know. I want my brain. I want to see what you see when you're looking at people move. And pretty much after having a session with her, I, yeah, looked into physio and just with all big decisions, I don't tend to think about them. I try to just jump in because if I think about it too much, I'll find reasons not to do something. So, yeah. And she, she does <laughs> uh, DNS, yeah, um, which is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Yeah, yeah, um, and so she's she doesn't take a huge number of clients, does she? Uh, well, not not in a day because she tends to spend like a solid hour with with each of her clients. So I did find her because I got into DNS through someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah and so she she is a dns clinician but also she studied some other systems as well sure. and just has a really interesting background and yeah we yeah are, but we dns are. is definitely a big part of informing what she does and yeah i just love that she'll spend like a full hour with you it's not like okay i'm gonna put this heat pack on you and then i'm gonna go work on that guy and then i'll come back i'll get you to do this exercise while he's got the heat pack and then you know it's not as yeah. in and out there's actually time spent and that's how I want to work as a, as a physio as well sorry it feels less clinical would that be yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of like revolving door mm. sport physio clinic kind of thing which I've done a number of times yeah yeah um and just so if people are hunting for that sort of thing what's her what's her name obviously she doesn't necessarily agree with everything that we do but she's obviously great at what she does um, yeah, and I think there still is um, a lot of synergy. So the places that I like to hang and the stuff that I like to do, I, nothing is at complete odds with each other. So, and, and um, her name is Louise O'Connor. Mm -hmm. Sure. So if anyone, yeah, if anyone wants her details, I think. Uh, yeah, she doesn't. I don't think she, she doesn't really do uh, much in the way of marketing because everyone just by word of mouth, I think, keeps her super busy. Yeah. Cool. Um, so next question how did you find our community how did you how did you find queensland kettlebells <laughs> um i think if i try to retrace my steps i think it's because i was following christy gossart oh, yeah. on instagram and facebook and stuff like that and uh coach dan john is yeah. it and i think he so i think sometime before i joined he had come for a workshop or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think I had seen them like talking to you guys through Instagram or whatever. And I was like, Oh, like who are these guys that are here? And also I knew of junior. So I, I, I was following junior because a friend of mine used to train at his place. So I think through all of those interactions, I was just like, it just seemed like more and more webbing. So it was like yeah. kind of leading me down this path of like, who are these guys? Why haven't I heard about them and what they're doing? Mm. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I, I had been training solo for a while, just working with an exercise physiologist and was getting really bored of it and uninspired Sure. and thought I'd come check you guys out. Cause I had a few kettlebells in my, in, in my house that I didn't really know how to use very well. And I thought that I would just spend a few weeks with you guys while you had a special and then I would leave, but I got yeah. sucked in. <laughs> yeah. Look, we, um, a good chunk of our clients were just coming to learn their belt to use their bells at home. Um, yeah, they tend to be good ones. Um, so, so what is the number one thing that you do regularly that you feel makes your life awesome? 
mm, regularly. It can be semi-regularly, but the, if you yeah. if you had one habit or one behavior that you thought enriched your life greatly, what would what would that be? I think it would be just regularly taking the time to uh, roll around on the ground. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and some days that's with music. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes. It's something that I just do for a few minutes. Sometimes it turns into an extended practice. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, is there anything in particular that you do when you're rolling around? Like, do you merge a few different ways of doing things or you just do whatever? Yeah, look, I'll often, um, a, a solid kind of like template. If I've decided that I'm going to just like do a little bit of a home practice of some kind, I'll usually start with a little bit of resets. Yeah. Um, some gentle movements, some joint circles, that kind of thing. And then I might have a, do a few sun salutations of some variety. And I kind of have a little bit of a basic template for what like my yoga practice would kind of look like. But often once I just start moving with the resets and the sun salutations, I'll get a better feel for what's going on in my body yeah. and, and what I need that day. Yeah. And so I'll kind of respond accordingly. Awesome. Yeah. It kind of feeds in from, yeah, all the different things that I've done. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your athletic background. Hmm, um, super random. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Basically, like, uh, I think as a kid, my parents thought it was important to give us exposure to a lot of different a lot of different things so they encouraged us to just try anything and and everything and not get pigeonholed into one particular sport which as a kid i think i found really frustrating because i wanted to be good at something and i felt like i was more of a jack of all trades yeah Except for basketball i've always been terrible at basketball um you but yeah tall, sorry i said it helps being very tall yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I just layup. Watching me do a layup is is hilarious. It's just I've never managed to find a way to make make that work. Um, yeah, look, when I was a kid, I you know we the, the kind of culture growing up in Montreal was like you just spend your summers at the pool. That was like that was like your daycare. So you'd go in the morning and do swimming lessons and water polo, diving, whatever, and then just hang out there for the day, go home for lunch, spend the rest of the day there. So I spent a lot of my summers in the water and then winters would be cross country skiing and alpine skiing and stuff on the, win in the, on the weekends. Um, did a lot of soccer and softball when I was a kid as well, a little bit of gymnastics. And then in my teenage years, I kind of just tried lots of different, lots of different sports through school and stuff. I kept up with soccer a bit and ended up doing synchronized swimming for a little while, which was pretty random. <laughs> um, but then I was also doing rugby and uh, they started allowing girls to do freestyle wrestling in my yeah. last couple of years of high school. So I started doing a bit of wrestling as well. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I started getting into weight training a little bit after that. And then I kind of spent a few years not doing too much outside of just sort of like the regular sort of gym kind of programs and yeah i guess the past like 10 15 years it's been uh more learning how to train with barbells mm -hmm. um had a little bit of a play with some muay thai for a couple of years yeah, cool. uh, yeah um did some circus stuff 
just aerials and acro hand-to-hand kind of stuff. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and then just kind of getting into like with the whole like movement thing that started, I guess I got into that kind of training a little bit. I did some workshops with some different people and I've tried to incorporate what I learned from them into what I was doing. Did some online coaching with a few people around the world and stuff. Yeah. I've just kind of been doing this, trying to find, I think, trying to find my groove and um, perpetually getting injured doing things. <laughs> and so I love the training that we do it at, at Queensland Kettlebells because I, it's, I'm not finding I'm going through the same pattern of, mm of injury so yeah. Yeah. yeah cool yeah um one thing that stood out to me so my image of canada is that it's pretty cold mm-hmm. but in what what's the temperature in summer in montreal that you guys are all hanging out at the, at the pool um we're just not as precious as <laughs> <laughs> so look some days it might be like 15 16 degrees in the morning when you're like getting into the pool and it's cold yeah. You just move lots, you know. Yeah. Um, no, look, we it's there's. I think there's just more of a, a a variety. It's more like you know the Melbourne like four seasons one day kind of thing. So, in Montreal, which is a bit further, like my sister's in Toronto, and their weather's a little bit more mild. We get a bit more extremes with our summers, but um, we can sometimes have like heat waves where it's you know 35, 36, and super humid. But then there's also days where it's more like a Brisbane winter, right. you know. 1920 yeah where people would be uh thinking you were insane if you're up in the water right yeah here they're in like you know beanies and hoodies and boots and we're still just we're still getting in the pool because well what else do we just it was like what else are you going to do you just go home and yeah your friends are there and yeah yeah awesome yeah no um yeah it's it is cool uh hearing about different cultures because you know, when we essentially have summer and spring in Brisbane, um, it uh, <clears throat> we lose perspective, I think, sometimes um, on what, what winter actually is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also what I find really, really interesting about living in Australia, especially in Brisbane, is because I'm used to having four very distinct seasons and it feels here like it's really just kind of like maybe two and even then it's one more like one with some yeah yeah one and a half um it, the the passing of time is very different yeah so i feel like time has slowed down considerably when i live in australia because it feels like it's just like perpetual summer whereas like in when you're living in a place with four seasons you're seeing the change you're seeing time go by watching the changes on the trees you know and the yeah doesn't even have a wet season or a dry season yeah it's weird man like, I, after being here about five or six years, I'd go home and I'm like, why are you guys aging? Like, it's only been like a few months. I don't understand. So yeah, it's, it's weird. It lulls me into this weird sense of, yeah, the passing of time. Um, so do you have a specific goal right now? Um, you know, can be personal, can be training, whatever. Do you have a specific goal and what, what might it be? Yeah, I guess so. I have, uh, so I'm doing the training camp for the Strong First certification. So I'd love to be able to have those techniques and the strength to be able to do it with a 16 mm-hmm. kilo kettlebell, even if, you know, even if I end up 
testing at a, at a 12, I'd still like to be able to know that 16 is at least within my grasp, even if it's not quite there yet. Sure. Um, and I embarked on a 300 days of training um, with uh, a friend of mine, Craig, who's a Dashwan uh, Taoist teacher. Um, in New yeah, but I'm not, no, it's um, <laughs> quarantine. Yes, <laughs> who, did, who used to do stuff in New Farm Park. Classes in New Farm Park. Yeah, no, this is more just like a 300 day challenge. So anyone like he, he's lived in Canberra and Sydney. And so pretty much anyone who's, you know, within his circle of, of influence is joining in a part of this. So my meditation practice has always been really kind of fits and spurts. I'll go through phases of being super regularly regular and then it drops off and then yeah. day here and there, but I've never really... I've never been consistent for a long time. Mm. And so I'm trying, I'm trying that now. So I'm on day 10 of consistent, like a, having a daily seated practice, um, a daily focus practice. Sure. Uh, and yeah, and a physical practice that for me is a bit about front body, hip flexory stuff. Yeah, so every day, every day for 300 days. Good, I think yeah. that'd be very healthy for you. Yeah. Yeah. The focus oh. practice has probably been the most interesting because it made me really angry for the first week and it's only now starting to make me less angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, what was the last book you read and what was the best thing about it? <sighs> Textbooks don't count unless you were really jazzed about one. Yeah, this is a really, it's a really embarrassing question because I think since studying physio, I don't think I have actually finished a book. I have started a bunch of them. I have like a stack on my night table, but I don't, I don't think I've actually started and finished a book except maybe a book of short stories. Sure. But I'm not sure that that was even that recent. I think, I think I'd have to say, um, it's a book that I have read before that I've kind of revisited. I mm. think would be the first thing that comes to mind. Um, it's called Yoga and the Quest for the True Self. Mm -hmm. Or no, that's, no, sorry, same, same book. Sorry, same author, different book. Um, it's called The Wisdom of Yoga. Okay. And uh, the author, Stephen Cope, he has both a psychology background and a yoga background. And so he kind of brings together yoga philosophy, but gives it a really interesting kind of Western Wow. Um, psychology bent and looking at kind of exploring the yoga philosophy through a really accessible viewpoint and drawing correlations between that and demystifies it a little bit yeah and just makes it really accessible really yeah. applicable so I, I pull it out every time I teach like an intro to yoga course mm. um, it's a really nice way to make some of like the yoga sutras like the, the some of the the translations of the yoga sutras are um, really really dry and really like esoteric yeah really esoteric and hard to yeah hard to make accessible for people who are just learning about this system for the first time and sure. and seeing what we're getting at so um i love that text that it kind of like it's about him it's kind of like a sort of bio, sort of biographical and talking about his experience and studying the sutras and then his different friends that he's like in their personalities and then how the sutras apply to each of them and their paths in different ways and kind of always coming back to some different like shaman quotes like you'll bring in like Don Juan and you know different 
different philosophers, different people in history. And yeah, it's a really, really, um, really easy way to get, get your head around um, the philosophy of yoga. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite food? There is no one food, Piers. <laughs> what, what's been your favorite food in the last week? Um, I bought a box of Fruit Loops last week. It's super <laughs> embarrassing. There was something about going into quarantine that made me go like, I need to eat the trash that I usually don't touch. So bought like a box of mac and cheese that I haven't done that in like years. I don't think I've, yeah. Anyway, stuff like that. But other than that, I eat insane amounts of kimchi. Yeah, nice. Two meals yesterday involved kimchi. I will find a way to put kimchi onto anything. You make your own, I'm assuming? No. <laughs> yes, after, okay, so we got the last, like, kilo bag at Hanaro Mart um, this week. Yeah. So other than that, it was all just, like, little containers. My, my partner's a chef, and we did have a go at making our own one time, and it didn't go well. We're much better at sauerkraut than we are at kimchi. But he is a friend who, like, does kimchi full-time. That's her jam. So we're going to tap into that and start to make our own, I think, hopefully. Yeah. I'm it's sorry for okay. all the, uh, okay. all the uh, notifications. you have a class? No, I have some people who are chatting on, on the Telegram Messenger. Uh, oh, that's why my phone is loading up, yeah. yeah. Um, so, apologize for all the dinging. Um, all good. Uh, look, we've probably covered it. Uh, the next question is, what are your hobbies? But I feel like between your yoga and stretchy stuff and coming to visit us, you're probably just doing university, right? Yeah, and walking my dog and yeah, roasting vegetables. Because this is visible for some people at the moment, is your dog still around to be introduced? Yeah, Goosey, hey, come here, come here, come say hi. <laughs> She's a little sleepy. Oh yeah, so, so how long have you had Goosey for? Sit. Oh, goose. This is goose. Yeah. Um. We've we've been together about four years now. Three years. Four, four years. Four years. She's a rescue. Yeah. She's got to be eight or nine, right? Sorry. Got to be eight or nine at least, right? Yeah. That's what they're thinking. Yeah. She's nine-ish. Yeah. She's very cute. Yeah. She's a pretty good dog. She's like just the right energy level, and um. <laughs> we're both food motivated yeah. you know and for those who are watching some sort of staffy cross yeah um, yeah Queens, queensland um the qsar queensland staffy and m staff rescue group yeah we found her through and um she didn't really care from care for us much when we first met her and oh. we think it's because there were some treats on the table and she was just like okay you guys are <laughs> fine but like i want i want to know when one of those is coming to me you know yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. She's my first, she's like my first actual dog that wasn't a partner's dog that I just lived with. Yeah. And we're best friends. Yeah. Well, she's got those beautiful big staffy eyes and is trying, currently not accepting that the pats have stopped. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Really funny. She's really sooky, but she doesn't really cuddle. She doesn't really understand cuddling. She always like, she's like, what's happening? Am I going to get pats? Am I, what are we, yeah. what are we doing? Once the pats stop, she'll sometimes just wander off yeah and so i feel like we've covered it a little bit more but already but the next question is why you 
typically choose to train at Queensland Kettlebells. Um, do you want to add anything to that or should we move on to your superpower? Oh, uh, <laughs> um, oh there's so many reasons. Um, because uh, like, I, I love the people there. You're not, you're okay from time to time. <laughs> really irritating all the time uh, no I, I i love the training i like like i love the i love the people i love the community and that's as big a part of it as well mm. um but yeah the um the style of training just really suits me mm. um i like the fact that it's it's uh it's like a it's a skill that i'm not that i have to work at like it's frustrating but <laughs> but I love it. You know, um, I love that I, I get stronger even when I feel like I'm not, you know, as long as I'm coming consistently, I don't feel like it has to be like this super hardcore training that leaves me exhausted and depleted. And that's how I thought you had to train. And I thought it was weird that you guys didn't train like that when I first started. And, um, I'm completely converted to this, to this way of, of training. It, um, it's weird. Um, sorry? It is weird. Most yeah. people aren't doing it but it is more effective. Yeah. I remember after the first class, I came home and I was saying to Matt, I'm like, there's no, there was no finisher. There wasn't like, you know, barely even, I don't understand. Like we didn't, we didn't have to like do a bunch of burpees or, mm. you know, sprints or air dine or some kind of cardio machine that, you mm. know, finishes you off. And yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't really make sense to me. And it just, it took me a while to wrap my head around it. And then, it just kind of clicked for me one day that I realized like, ah, oh, you know, after two years of, so two years of studying full time and being really up and down with my training, which mm. wasn't working for me because I need the training for my mental health and to feel good mm. to offset the studying. But then I was constantly like, oh, but I just don't have time to train for like a full hour or I'm just too tired to do what I know my training is today. Like, whereas I just realized I'm like, I've actually been super consistent with my training for like six months and I can it's it's hard to find excuses of why you can't just put in like a half an hour mm. and when you want to do more you can do more so i love that i love i love how versatile it is i love the fact that you know the world goes on to lockdown and i don't have to stop training because i've got a couple of kettlebells at home and i can just as easily pick them up here as i can there just my coffee's not as good <laughs> yeah yeah Incomplete. <laughs> i uh, i don't mind when i have to go in there to give someone to, to lend someone a bell because I fire up the machine and have a coffee while I wait for them. It's, yeah. um, it's a bit of a win. Yeah. 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 Now your superpower, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, if I could have a superpower. Yes. <sighs> Just for the record, invisibility is for creepers. Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I think probably it's, it's not even really a superpower because there are people who can do this probably like, uh, lucid dreaming skills. I want to be able to control my dreamscape, right? Do what I want in it. I've only managed that like a couple of times mm. to be like in my dream and realized that I was dreaming and then to be able to like, to manipulate events. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to be able to do that consistently. Right. And then go into other people's dreams and do it to them too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I've never and, heard that before, but it's it's. I can can see how that would be appealing. Yeah. Also, vascularity. I've always wanted like bicep veins. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to eat to the degree that I need to. I don't. I don't have the level of. I I really like a variety of food more than I like the idea of being super vascular. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to me, it's a superpower because the restraint it would take to achieve those levels of vascularity are just not in this lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, the next portion is upcoming events. So one thing that we are looking to launch in the next uh, few weeks is we actually want Dyer to use some of her um, skill set in terms of her yoga practice and her stretchy stuff um, to help people to feel good. So, you know, it may be something as simple as Dyer running a class where she rolls around on the floor for a while and other people can join in. Um, mm -hmm. But we're going to probably send out an email, put a post in the Facebook group and get hopefully some structure around that so that Di has some, because obviously she's got, you know, a whole lifetime of practice doing different things. Um, we'd love for her to be able to narrow the scope a little bit to do something that, uh, that fits where our clientele are at um, and at a time that works for, for her as well. Um, so that's coming up. Um, so as you guys hear this and think about it, we'd love your input so that Di can do something that uh, that has a bunch of people at it and that is uh, is gratifying for everyone involved. Mm. Um, so I don't know if you want to give people any guidance on that, Di, or whether you want to let people um, kind of throw things out there and figure it out as we go. Yeah, look, I'd love, I'd love for people to throw things out there um, and that can help guide where we go. I think probably sort of the two main things, well, I don't know, yeah, ish that I do would be like, like a, a basic yoga practice would mm -hmm. be one thing, um, or then stuff that's more kind of like mobility focused. So the mobility stuff is more like using different techniques to release tension from your body or find ways to, to move a bit better. Um, and that might include like using those like massage balls uh, or like different kinds of stretching. Um, yeah. And I do know like some people have asked me in the past, like just ideas for like, hey, I, this my this is really tight. What would you suggest or this? So mm -hmm. um, I've I've taught classes before where the format was kind of like, uh, just tell me what you need and we'll just work through it. So some people will be like, ah, this is really tight or I can't do this movement. And how can I how can I improve that? So we can do like a little bit of like we can possibly have like a class that's kind of like requests, you know, yeah. special requests. you can send them in at the time that I can structure it into a good, a good, a good sequence. Or, um, yeah, I could do like a hip focus class or like a neck and shoulders kind of thing or, yeah. yeah. Well, or if people want to just look more at like the, the, yeah, the system of yoga, which is not the best way to get, like if you're, if you're interested specifically in flexibility and mobility, then I would use different techniques yoga to me is like a, is a separate practice from that that if you do consistently will also improve your flexibility and your mobility but it's not the best way i would say yeah but that's, it's the it's that's a benefits yeah. yeah yeah okay cool 
Um, so we'll we'll put something up. I really I kind of like the idea of Dai's freestyle movement class, um, <laughs> but uh, but we can cool. can uh, can give that some flesh in the future. Um, alongside that, um, we're looking at doing some some sort of free classes a couple of times a week to facilitate um, sort of movement in the community. They'll be sort of like our strong longevity stuff. So a bunch of OS, a bunch of um, sort of safe, easy, easily accessible movements that uh, any of your friends can join in with. So we'll, we'll hopefully do that on, um, on the social media. Nikki's going to have to teach me how to make that, uh, that magic happen, but we can do it. Um, and then we're also going to figure out uh, beginner workshops, hopefully digitally. So I feel like there's going to be a whole bunch of people who bought kettlebells thinking that they'd use them at home and then realised they had no idea. Um, <laughs> we're hopefully going to equip those guys to use them more effectively. And that's going to be uh, linked into supporting some of the local businesses. So we'll, we'll have more information on that in the near, near future as well. Um, and, uh, and now... Uh, in terms of uh, links and items we mentioned in the episode, there was Louise O'Connor, mm-hmm. who's a physio. Um, there was the book on yoga, which is... Uh, the Wisdom of Yoga by the, Stephen Cope. Yep, Stephen Cope, uh, The Wisdom of Yoga. There's uh, Craig, um, I want to say Mallet, mm-hmm. but it is. Yep, Craig Mallet, M-A-L-L-E-T-T. Yep. Um, who will be doing some Taoist practice. Uh, once New Farm Park opens up again. Yeah, and he does lots of online stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there were any other resources that I can think of. I'll give one last one. So Stretch Therapy. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, so stretchtherapy.net. Tons mm-hmm. of information there. Really, really interesting and effective system. Really similar to, um, well, not similar to, but there's a... Uh, that oh shoot, what's the name of it? F not FMS. Focus Flex. Uh, GMB. Flex. No. Different. The guys that do like the kin stretch, and it's all like pails and rails and all this uh, stuff. Is that um? Ooh. Yeah, no. Anyway, there's 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 yeah, it's a really great system that uses a lot of really intelligent ways of improving mobility. Also, the guy Kit, the who who's the kind of like the founder of it, he's. Um, just got a really interesting brain. And so he's got lots of blogs and lots of resources up there. And they've been doing this uh, 10 days of basically making their programs free. They have heaps of online stuff as well. Yeah, and they well. Do like a 10 days of mobility. Like some of them are like things like rolling around on the floor. Other of them are um, different, different stretch sequences and stuff like that. So look up, look them up on, yeah, on social media or just on their, their website. They've got yeah, heaps. Of really great stuff. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, the final question that we've got sneakily in there is, uh, what's something that might surprise people about you that we haven't covered? Uh... You have a nubbin. <laughs> a nubbin? Yeah. <laughs> what, this guy? Or uh, I kind of do have two extra nipples. <laughs> they're, like, they're strawberry marks though i don't know if you can call them <laughs> i guess that's yeah that well usually the synchronized from swimming one surprises yeah. people that yeah. or the wrestling yeah. or 
I did burlesque for a little bit because I wanted to learn how to walk in high heels. Yeah. And it scared the shit out of me. So, oh, sorry. Am I allowed to swear on that? I no. think that's okay. <laughs> it's not the worst swear I could come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like to do things that terrify me. Mm. Um, that's what terrifies so, me. Yeah. Walking in heels and taking my clothes off in a room full of people was like pretty scary. So I thought I'd give it a try. Mm. I was in, I like to periodically do something that, yeah, that really just completely scares me is really uncomfortable. Mm. And again, it's one of those things I try not to think about, but I just do. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I think everyone, I think discomfort and discomfort is a, is a really valuable way to approach life. Yeah. Yeah. It's slightly unpleasant at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. and never saying no to a food you haven't tried before. Yes. Actually, when I was in Cambodia, um, I was, was offered, uh, the, I don't know if they call it balut in Cambodia, but um, the fertilized egg. Um, and I kind of took that approach. You did it. You ate it. Yes. Amazing. Um, How'd you go? It was all right. It was a bit crunchy, but yeah. it, it, was, it was an egg. It was pretty, pretty, um, but it was one of those things where the gentleman who was, was, he, he was a Cambodian who was buying me dinner. And so I was like, you know what, if you're going to, if you're going to pay for it, I really don't have, considering comparatively, I was like off the charts wealthy. So this dude taking me out to dinner, um, I, I know. yeah, there was, I, there was no way that I could, could legitimately say no to it. Um, yeah. And just when, I'm sure he's going to listen to this, when it happens, Brent, you're the person that is gunking up this interview with all the dings. <laughs> Brent Cunningham. God um, damn it, Brent. Yeah. Um, so, but look, uh, thank you very much for your time, Di. My pleasure. And so for all of you other guys, if you like what we do, please follow the podcast on iTunes, like our Facebook page and get in touch. Um, <laughs> if you don't, flick me an email to help us to make it better. Thank you all. And it says I'll see you guys next week, but these come out about once every two months. So I'll see you guys in a couple of months. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Piers. <laughs>